Welcome to the Vox Community Podcast. You can learn more about Vox Community at voxoc.com. Join us on Sunday mornings at El Dorado High School in the Performing Arts Center at 9 and 11 a.m. Oh, yeah, baby. Good morning. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. I still hear guitar in my headphones, but welcome. I want to welcome you to Vox. Good morning. Can anyone hear me? If you can hear me, raise your arms and do this. Okay, perfect. Because I have some sort of music still going on in my headphones. Good morning, everybody. And I can hear it. I can hear the good morning back. I feel it. I'm so glad you're with us. No hugging in the front row, guys. Mike, uh, Mike, sit down. Come on, you'll have your chance to dance and hug later. Not right now. Thank you very much. Ladies and gentlemen, good morning. My name is Mike Erie, coming at you from uh, the great state of Ohio, where I was told that I come across even whiter than usual on screen, which, you know, is saying something because I thought I was pretty much already at the apex of whiteness. Um, we're glad you're with us today. If this is your first time with Vox, we want to invite you to fill out uh, or to go to voxoc.com, excuse me, and, then, and there's a section there uh, where you can fill out a little bit about yourself and let us know that you were here this morning. You can find out more um, about us and everything we're, we're trying to do and what we stand for and all those sorts of things. Today's a good day to come. Uh, first of all, because there is a picnic right after the service. And we are big fans of picnics, ladies and gentlemen. We are big fans of picnics. Picnics. We will have Kentucky Fried Chicken in your honor uh, in the great state of Ohio, knowing that you are picnicking away. But that's right after the service. And then um, I think it's next Sunday, we have a Nudavox lunch. Now, we've been doing Nudavox dinners, uh, but we thought we'd do a, we'd try a Nudavox lunch, which is right after the service, kind of a mini picnic, if you will. But it's a time to get to know the crew. And to hear more about what's going on, uh, we go way beyond the website in terms of answering questions and um, kind of explaining the vision behind Vox and what the heck is this big white talking head doing on the screen um, and uh, why in the world is it set up this way. Anyway, we're thrilled you're here. Um, I'm going to, Lord willing, we're going to be teaching today from the great state of Ohio. Uh, but before we do, I want to invite Tim out. We got a great question this week uh, that Tim wanted to take a crack at. We're going to do that because we're big fans of doubters and skeptics. And, uh, and go ahead, Tim, take that away, and then I'll be back in a second. Mike, I am so glad to hear the technology working. I've never been so happy Amen. to hear complete sentences in my life. <laughs> Woo! We, I have a sermon ready to go again this week, but I've never been booed off a, a stage in my life, and I did not want to quickly experience what that'd be like. So, Mike, we're so glad you're with us. Let's go to the first question. I was raised believing that a husband was designated by God to be the spiritual leader of the home. For the past two years, my wife has become more and more disinterested in going to church, praying, etc. I struggle with guilt. A long struggle with guilt. <laughs> Wondering if I am not fulfilling my role as a spiritual leader of our home. I pray with our kids and try to be a godly example for them. I haven't prayed with my wife in years because it feels awkward and empty. I am not sure how to move forward trying to establish a spiritual climate in our home when it is often met with tension. 
If I don't do anything, however, I feel like I'm blowing it as the spiritual leader of thoughts. You know, the hard thing about marriage, the good thing about marriage and the hard thing about marriage is you do go through seasons as individuals, not just as a couple. So there are seasons when one person's struggling with his or her faith, struggling emotionally, struggling psychologically, and that's the beauty of having two people. That's why we need to pray for single parents, right? I and mean, that, that is such a difficult task. But when you have two people, I do think there are empty seasons where one person is working out his or her spirituality, and that's where the other person does step up and, and yeah, just says, you know what, let me pray. Let me um, take this burden off of you. Now, of course, we'd want to be working in sync with each other, but just know that there's going to be ups and downs throughout the entire marriage for a variety of reasons. The key is not to become bitter. Because you can think, well, boy, now I'm carrying the whole load, and I, I thought we were a team. That's where I think Satan can get in and really start to plant thoughts that are not helpful. So, yeah, I want a couple firing on all cylinders all the time, but there's going to be seasons where that, that is just not possible. Um, so, uh, uh, we do love each other when we feel like the other person can't give much in a particular kind of area, we stand up and, but, but get help as a couple. Uh, process this with a box community pastor or process it with somebody uh, when you're ready to do that. Uh, let's, talk, let's take a look at the second question, which um, is a person going through a difficult season of his or her spirituality. I haven't been able to read my Bible in months. When I hear people read or quote scripture, I cringe. Everything seems like pat answers, like people were just trying to reorient or make sense of things gone awry, especially the book of uh, Philippians. Paul sounds like someone on the verge of a mental breakdown and desperately, try, desperately trying to keep it together with a spiritual pep talk. I love Jesus, but when I pray, I feel like I hear nothing, at least not for me. I can hear for others, but not for me. I honestly feel like I just can't fight anymore. I don't even know what questions to ask anymore. Continue. I just want my thoughts out there. I guess my biggest hang-ups are the exclusivity of Jesus only and how. No matter how beautiful Jesus is or what we have at Vox, I can't accept either of those and still see God as love. Um, there was a, an ancient church father named St. John of the Cross, and he wrote a beautiful poem called The Dark Night of the Soul that has been used by a lot of Christians throughout the centuries. A dark night of the soul is you've lost your foundations. You, you can't see up anymore. You don't know what you believe about God. You don't know if he's good anymore. You don't know if he loves you. There, there are questions about the Bible you just don't have answers to. And you feel that God is a million miles away. And you're just stuck. St. John of the Cross experienced that. He called it the dark, the dark night of the soul. I experienced that in seminary. Um, I had a professor who taught that God orchestrated everything. So everything that happens is God moving levers to do that. So you can think of the worst thing you can think of, and God's actually behind it, causing it to happen. You can ask my wife. For a year, I, I was in panic. I couldn't live with a God like that. So I, I didn't pray regularly for a year. I read every book you could imagine, had sleepless nights. I could not shake it. I mean, what was God like? Well, that's a dark night of the soul. And so here's what I would say during a dark night of the soul that I found helpful. One, what do I absolutely know is true of God even if I don't feel it? For me, the one thing I hung on to is that I believe that God was love expressed in the death of Jesus, and I do believe that Jesus died for everyone. That was it. That's all I clung to. 
Uh, I don't know about hell. There's times I'd want to get rid of the doctrine of hell. C.S. Lewis famously said, I wish I could get rid of the doctrine of hell. Uh, the exclusivity of Jesus, I, I get that that's hard. When you have one out of every five people in the world self-identified as a Muslim, what does that mean? I, and I don't know, but I do believe that God is love. I do believe that Jesus died for everybody. And here's the last thing that helped me. The writer of Hebrews says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Faith is trusting God even when you have this much trust. And I think God honors that. I think God looks at you in this really hard situation and he says, the fact that you're hanging on by a thread brings me great honor. And, and again, I, I would talk to other people, community pastors, I would seek to get input, but just know that God's not disappointed in you. And the fact that you have one thread greatly brings them honor. And even for those of you who feel like you don't have the thread, God's not abandoned you. This is a Job moment where Job is saying, there's no reason for me to believe in the goodness of God, and yet he chooses to grit his spiritual teeth and have faith. So I think Vox is a great place for people in, in the dark night of the soul. And what separates us from other churches, we recognize that people are in dark nights of the soul because we've gone through it as well. So I'm gonna turn it back over to Mike. Mike, take it away. All right. Thanks, Tim. Well, hopefully this works because uh, we love the idea of being able to do this. And so we hope for your grace. Uh, we want your grace and pray for your grace as we try to figure this out and get all the tech issues done and try to switch between the slides and the live feed and me looking at the camera like I'm supposed to now versus looking down at myself, which is really weird. Um, but but if, just one thought uh, to add on to something Tim said. I think the idea of the like spiritual head of the house has really morphed into something that is very guilt-inducing that I would totally disagree with. And so I'd actually want uh, to spend a little time on that uh, that question if you've got a follow-up to that, because I'm not quite sure that's what it means. The spiritual head of the house means they're the one that's always praying, they're the one that's always serving, they're the one that's got to be the most godly. I just I don't, I don't see that in the Bible as I see a, a deep partnership between male and female in the responsibilities of spiritual leadership over the home. I don't see that as just the guy's job. And I think that's a misunderstanding of headship. So uh, just to let you know, and then the, about the second question, we have tons of resources. If you're new to our community, we did a whole series on hell. Uh, we did a, a, a podcast on uh, the exclusivity of Jesus. If, if you haven't listened to those things, they might give you a bit of broader context uh, for the doubts and the struggles you have. We just did something, in fact, a couple weeks ago on the hiddenness of God and the kind of the dark night of the soul, like Tim was saying. So uh, the nice thing about our communities, we've been asked so many questions and we've covered so many topics. There are uh, other resources than just the 30 seconds of answers that we can give you here. Today, what I want to do is I actually want to teach. I've been just chomping at the bit to do this. Uh, a couple weeks ago, Carrie, one of our teaching team, talked about the conversion of Peter. And uh, we were talking about in terms of loving the outsider, loving the, the misfit, loving the person that's hard for you to love. And, um, and the idea was Peter was very Jewish, and then he has this vision of God that calls him into a Gentile's house, and, and the Holy Spirit falls on this, this non-Jewish person. And Peter, it's not just the, the non-Jewish guy that's converted to Jesus, but it's almost Peter's reconverted again to this new thing that Jesus is doing. And since I heard that message, I've been thinking a lot about Peter. 
and as kind of he's kind of a model for us in so many ways. Uh, and I want to I want to talk a little bit about that this morning about about the the journey of Peter to that point. Uh, because it wasn't just a very smooth, easy journey. So uh, if you've got a Bible this morning, go to the book of Luke, chapter 5. I want to talk about where uh, he and Jesus become more than friends. They become a disciple and master. And, um, and so in Luke, chapter 5, Jesus, we read in Luke, chapter 4, Jesus has just healed Peter's mother-in-law. So Peter is married. He's got a career. He's a fisherman. He's in business with some brothers. Um, and, uh, and so he's seen, Peter's seen Jesus do some stuff, but the text picks up, uh, this way. It says one day as, um, Jesus was standing by the Lake of Gennesaret or the Sea of Galilee, as we would call it, uh, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge, two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. Now that is a very important clue. They had been night fishing, and they were cleaning their nets because they were done for the day. So there are two kinds of nets. There were daytime nets and nighttime nets, depending on um, the, the thickness of the, of, the, of the rope. And you would fish a slightly differently, whether you were fishing at night uh, from, the, from a boat or during the day from the shore. Um, so the fact that they were washing their nets tells us they'd been fishing all night. And they were cleaning their nets to put them away and then go home during the daytime. All right. So that detail is important. Jesus got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to be put out a little from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. So evidently this was kind of a, and you see this when you go to Israel, there are these natural amphitheaters, you know, these hillsides that are just perfect for carrying sound. Certainly over water helps that too. Now, when Jesus had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into deep water and let down the nets that you've just cleaned for a catch. Now, that doesn't sound like much, but but think about think about what Jesus is asking. It's really kind of funny. Peter is a professional fisherman. The professionals have been at it all night. And um, and then notice next uh, slide. Simon answered, "Master, we've worked hard hard all night, and we haven't caught anything." But because you say so, I will let down the nets. And so, so here, here's, here's maybe what's going on. So they've been cleaning the nets. They've, they've taken the boats back out. Now they're using the wrong nets at the wrong time. So they're using nighttime nets during the day. And you can hear this in kind of Peter's answer. I mean, I'm kind of reading between the lines a little bit, but it sounds a little something like, hey, master, um, the professionals have given this a shot. And it didn't work, but because you healed my mother-in-law, <laughs> I will let down the nets. Um, <laughs> I just hear Peter kind of like passively, aggressively going, oh my goodness, and eye-rolling somewhere along the way. Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so. And, and now, frankly, I don't know about you, but I, I may have been tempted at that point when speaking to Jesus to just say, okay, Jesus, like, stick to the spiritual stuff, man. I mean, I'm the fisherman. You know, God's given me the gift of fishing. You're a tecton, which is like a stone carver or a wood carver. Um, and, you know, you're doing some teaching. Uh, but kind of stick to the practical or, excuse me, stick to the spiritual stuff. I'll deal with the practical stuff. And I love that Peter doesn't do that, even though many of us still operate according to that. What does Jesus 
of Nazareth have to teach us about business or have to teach us about mathematics or have to teach us about, you know, electricity. I mean, we kind of relegate Jesus into this little first century box where he's a forgiver of sins and teacher of religious truths. But I love that 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 Jesus intrudes on on Simon's specialty and, and says, all right, we'll throw the wrong nets out during the wrong time of day. And Simon agrees and says, okay, even though we've worked and even though we'll have to clean the nets again, we'll do it. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. Next slide. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. Now, now this, I can just imagine the chaos, right? So Jesus is on the boat with them. There are boats in Israel. In a, uh, they, they found a first century fishing boat. These are not huge boats. Um, so maybe two or three people. They, they bring their partners out. They're being swamped with fish. It's like these are, these are like 10... I mean, it's so many fish. I don't know. I don't know how many fish you need to make a month's income in the first century, but I, I, I would guess that the number of fish they were getting—it's like pulling up ten-dollar bills. I mean, so the first thought they must have had is like cha-ching, right? I mean, they've hit the fish lottery. This is going to be awesome. They're going to be set up. Thank you, Jesus. This is so fantastic. This is great. The other thing I think they were feeling, so they're feeling like really joyful about the catch, but the other thing I think maybe they're feeling is fear because the boats are so full that they began to sink, which <laughs> can you imagine you have such a great catch, you lose not only the fish, but the boats you use to catch them, right? Your professional tools. I mean, so Jesus has put them in this crazy situation. And here's what's so interesting about Peter. So Peter, I love this. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus's knees and said, go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. Now, he didn't. So, so think about that. He didn't focus on the blessing, right? All the fish or the fear, the threat of sinking. What he did instead is that he noticed there was something unique about this Jesus. And he noticed that because of the uniqueness of this Jesus, that he was in the presence of something much more holy than himself. And so he starts with this confession, leave me, depart from me, for I am a sinful man. Now this, I mean, this is absolutely crazy. Because he sees, he skips the blessing, he skips the fear, and he's the only one there, not distracted by either of those things, and instead looks at Jesus of Nazareth and recognizes there's something bigger and different and holy about this guy. And, and there's this sense in which what qualifies Peter um, to, to be a participant in the movement of Jesus isn't his theological training. It isn't his faith and obedience. I mean, we'll see in just a little bit, his faith and obedience never operated in a straight line. What was it that uh, qualified Peter to be a disciple of Jesus? Well, I think it was just the humility to say there's something about this Jesus. And it's very reminiscent of, of, of an episode in the book of Isaiah where a prophet named um, Elisha, nope, a prophet named Isaiah, <laughs> who wrote about this, uh, Isaiah comes in the presence of God, and Isaiah is a prophet of judgment. He's announcing woe to Israel, and woe to this group, and woe to this group. And then he comes into the presence of God, 
And his first word is, woe is me, I am ruined. And you get a similar glimpse of that in Peter's response when he says, depart from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. See, one of the things the scriptures are so clear about is that pride is the first thing to go when you come into, the, into contact with the real living holy God, right? The God that's described as living fire or holy fire, right? This, or consuming fire. This is, this is Peter's moment where instead of the blessing or instead of the fear, here he is. He notices there's something about this Jesus and he, he, he go, falls to his knees and says, depart from me, I am a sinful man. And, and so, so Peter recognizes that whatever it is that's going on, he doesn't understand it yet. He's not been theologically trained yet. He's not been so filled with the Spirit that he writes letters in the New Testament, right? He's just, this is just the very beginning of his journey. But the very beginning of the journey with Jesus always starts with the recognition that there's something about him that, and something deficient in me. Now, when we say, depart from me, right, I'm not worthy. It doesn't mean we're worth less. No, the scripture affirms we are of incredible value, so much so that God pursues us and sent his son to die for us. So not worthy doesn't equal worth less, but not worthy means we're not bringing any merit to this party. We're not bringing uh, any right, any claim, any entitlement to this thing. And so what qualifies Peter to be the leader that he's going to be in the movement of Jesus is this humble like declaration that he doesn't deserve to be there. And you'll see that all throughout the book of Luke. I mean, in all these different episodes, Luke paints the, 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 the same picture. Those that are sure of their rightness and those that are assured of their inness are the ones that Jesus speaks most sternly to. Whereas the ones that were assured of their outsiderness the ones that had been, been decreed, you know, not part of the in crowd. It's to these people in response to their humility and faith in Jesus, Jesus offers just these incredible invitations. So what's he say to, to Simon? He says, don't be afraid. Now, it's interesting. This is what angels always have to say to people whenever they show up. So this is like another holy moment where, where Jesus could very easily overwhelm Peter with his glory. But don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. I know this is a very famous sort of invitation, but just think about what happened. Peter looks at Jesus with guilt-ridden eyes and says, depart from me, I'm a sinner. And Jesus says, no, in fact, you're perfect. You're exactly what my movement is looking for. You're exactly what I want in my movement. I mean, that's absolutely crazy. And it's one of those things where that's been flipped around in 2,000 years, right? Now it's, the, now it's the church telling people that you've got to get your act together before you come in. Whereas Jesus was simply looking for hearts humble enough to admit their need, to admit their dependence, to forsake their independence and their self-righteousness, and to simply embrace the fact that God was doing this new thing in Christ. And it would require something of them, but what it, certainly that thing was not their perfection. That thing was their humility. That thing was their openness. That thing was their awareness that God was doing something new. Now, what, what God does <laughs> with a heart like that, and notice, notice, I mean, he doesn't wait to, he doesn't take Peter, he doesn't take Peter um, on some theological journey, although that will happen. He doesn't take Peter to, um, you know, seminary, although walking with Jesus is far better. What he does, and, 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 and really Luke highlights this, 
what he does is is this isn't the story of Peter choosing Jesus, correct? This is the story of Jesus choosing Peter. And it starts with this very humble confession. Now, where it goes from here is so fascinating. Gary, go ahead and put up that chart. The, the, these are some of the more memorable. And, and if you are familiar with uh, the Gospels, um, the, these are very famous Peter stories. Remember, I, I hope you guys have a chart of different stories. Um, so like it's, you have no chart. Okay. Um, I, I sent it over with slides, and sh but, but it was things like this. It's things like, you know, uh, Peter declares that Jesus is the Messiah. And, um, and, you know, good, good point for Peter. And then, um, and then when Jesus says the Messiah has to suffer, um, <laughs> Peter says, no, 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 may that never be. And, and Jesus rebukes him as Satan, right? So here's Peter being glorious, and then here's Peter being crazy. Uh, at the transfiguration, they're up on this mountain, and Peter is one of three guys that gets to see Jesus and Elijah and Moses meeting together. And, and, um, and Peter's so taken up with this. He's like, guys, let's build tents here, and let's just stay for a while. And, and, and Luke adds this parenthesis, like, Peter didn't know what he was talking about. I mean, you just see over and over through uh, the history of Peter and his story, you see Peter sleeping on Jesus when Jesus was praying and wanted some companionship. You see Jesus washing the feet of Peter and then Peter saying, no, don't do that. If you have to wash my feet, you're going to wash every single thing. Um, he says, you know, Peter's the guy that pulls the sword and chops off the, the ear of the uh, aid to the high priest, right? This is this is Peter coming in second when they come to the tomb, and he and John are, are racing. This is this is the same Peter that denies Jesus three times and gets uh, restored three times by Jesus' love. Peter preaches his first sermon, and 3,000 people come to faith, and here he is fishing for people. He gets martyred for his faith, but it didn't start there. It started with this humble, sincere confession, depart from me, Lord, I am a sinner. Now, for some of us, that's a very easy de declaration to make, right? That's the declaration for those of us who've blown it big, uh, at least in our own eyes. You know, we can point back to the abortion. We can point back to the to the infidelity, we can point back to the, the greed or the lust or the whatever and, and realize there's nothing we're bringing to the table. And uh, and then there's others of us who, you know, are kind of pretty self-assured and can be tempted towards self-righteousness. And Jesus speaks a word in, in, in Peter's story to both kinds of folks, right? To those of us who feel unworthy, to those of us who are sure we can't be used because we've blown it too big, Peter's offered as an example of here's a guy, his only qualification is that he looked past the blessing and the fear to acknowledge that there was something about Jesus and something deficient in him when he was next to Jesus. That was it. That was the one qualification. And look where that qualification led him, right? To see Jesus in his glory and in his resurrection and to be filled with the Spirit to let 3,000 people come in. But it wasn't a straight line. And so whenever the church says somehow in some way you've got to get cleaned up before you become a part, right, that's antithetical to what Jesus did. Jesus took people who weren't cleaned up, and he cleaned them up along the way. That's what's so glorious about Peter. Peter's discipleship was not in a, a straight line, even remotely. But then God speaks another word through us, uh, to us through Peter. And that's a, that's a word that just reminds us of, of 
the, the fact that this humility that Peter displays, this awareness of my falling short, isn't just the first step of people in the kingdom, but it's the defining characteristic. It's why Jesus speaks so harshly against judgment and condemnation. It's because we walk around, recognize that the sin in my eye is a plank and the sin in your life is a just a speck, right? That I am literally the biggest sinner in the room. And so Jesus comes speaking a word of warning against the self-righteous. The only, the only attitude I find that disqualifies people from the kingdom of God is the absolute insurance and entitlement that you belong in it. And the attitude that I see far more prevalently that Jesus blesses, the only requirements for those to be used in the kingdom is the humility to simply admit that we need him, that there's something about him that we need. And it doesn't mean we're worthless because obviously we're made in his image. He's pursued us to the ends of the earth. Absolutely. But it does mean we're not bringing anything uh, that has to do with credit or deservedness or worthiness to this party. So my brothers and sisters, uh, when Carrie was speaking about Peter, it reminded me of this story and, and the, the fact that, that the conversion, his second conversion you know, to the Gentiles, well, I wanted to, to remind us of his first one because I just think there's so much good stuff there. So what we want to do now is we want to transition into a time of worship. Uh, it, I'm so thrilled that we got through this okay. I'd love your feedback on, um, on how this was, what we could do better. Uh, it is such an honor to watch, but even better to participate in what's going on at Vox. So I want to transition us. I don't know if it's to Tim or if it's to Izzy, um, but uh, I want to pray for us. And, uh, and then um, I will go back into the nether regions of the Internet and watch via Facebook. Hi, Will. Good to see you. Hi, Izzy. Way to be pointing to people. Hi, Sunil. I know, it's exciting. I'm sorry. It's just fun to see everybody. All right, so let me pray, and, uh, and then we'll worship together. Heavenly Father, we're so grateful for the work you are doing uh, in us and in our community, and we pray in the name of Jesus for your grace to remind us of how much we need you, of how little we deserve your blessing, of the fact that it's all grace, it's all a gift, that our primary posture is one that is just thankfulness. And God, I pray uh, for those particularly who feel like they've fallen too far, they've sinned too much. Um, God, in the name of Jesus, would you present yourself to them through this story um, as a reminder, as a tangible reminder of, of what you can do with a heart that is simply open, not a heart that is perfect, but a heart that is faithful, a heart that is hungry, and a heart that is open. And to, it's to that end, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. See, we should do we should do an encore. I love that song. That is one of my all-time favorite songs. Izzy, it's so great to have you back along with everybody else. It was awesome. How great was it to hear Mike this morning? Oh. Some say he's a young Tim Yohoff. Some, not many. Mostly me. But um no, it was great. It was great to hear that. So I would love to pray for a benediction over you, for everybody, wherever you're at, that you would feel God's grace today follow you to the picnic, back to home, back to challenging situations, back to good situations, but the grace of God would go with you. So receive this in the name of Jesus.
I pray for you that today you would walk in the love of Christ, that in every person you meet, every situation you encounter, every challenge you face, the love of Jesus would be with you, and you would feel it emotionally, intellectually, and the eyes of your heart would be enlightened. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, Izzy. Izzy, I want to play bass. Thanks for listening to the Vox Community Podcast. You can join us on Facebook at facebook.com slash voxcommunity. Participate in the Vox Community at voxoc.com slash participate.